So we're going to continue our series called I Do. And uh, today is going to be on family life. And so I've, I've been studying this. I've actually, uh, because of not preaching every week, I've actually been working over about a two-week period on this sermon. After reading, I don't know how many things on parenting and, and family life and marriage and um, listening to sermons by other godly men who have preached on this and, and just praying through things, I have come to one conclusion, and that is I stink at this. And it's hard. Family life is tough. The, the call of God, I mean, it's, it's here. And there are two sweet little kiddos sitting back there. Man, they just got my heart. And I know I'm not all I should be for them. And so today, as, as we come to this sermon, I, I want to I try to put some of your hearts at ease. Some of you may be going, coming into this nervous because of the inadequacy we feel. And, and let me tell you, this is, this is not a drive-by guilting today. This is not, here's all the list of things you haven't done this week that you're supposed to be doing. What, what has been on my heart for almost two weeks now is, is to pull back and I want us to look at the force. I want us to look at why we're doing this. What are we to be doing? Not just as, as parents, because this is bigger of this. And I know some of you all, um, your parents are, your kids are grown. Um, we've got folks whose kids have had kids who are now having kids. Uh, you're, you're in this room. So this is not just a how-to on parenting. Some of you are sitting here and you are hurting because you've been seeking that spouse who has not come along. And you would like nothing more than to be a parent this morning and be listening for that. But this sermon and God's picture in the Word is bigger than that. So it's not just a drive-by guilting. It's not just here's a how-to be a better parent. Some of the sermons that I listened to that were not as good this week in, in preparing, they were, um, you, you try this and it's going to work for your family. It, it's going to fix the problem, whatever that problem is. And it, it just kind of came to remind me of, you, you know, we all have the friend who's on the get rich quick plan. I mean, every week it's, I, you got to hear about this and sign on to the latest whatever, and, and, and I'm going to make a fortune in the next year and a half. And that's what so many of these parenting books and sermons felt like. It's, you take this pill and oh, it's all good. Everything's going to work great. Your children are going to be angels and grow up. And, you know, every one of them is going to be a missionary or a pastor. Or, and, and it's a lot harder than that. It's not always that clean and nice and neat. So I want to come before you as a husband, a dad, but, but first as a Christian. And I want us to come at this. And I want us to look at what is the call on our lives. Every single one of our lives. Every one of you in here whether you're 10 
or 90. The call is the same. And then we're going to break that out and see how that call works out in our lives. Not to add stuff to your schedule. I, I hope and pray some things come off your schedule. Maybe after this sermon. But to see what the call of life is. So, so it's my prayer that we not look for the magic pill or the magic beans that are going to fix everything, but we seek Christ. And we seek what He has called us to do this morning. We're going to open God's Word to that passage you knew I was going to go to to talk about parenting and family life. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Because every one of the parenting sermons I listened to this week started right there, let me tell you. Um, we're, we're going a different path. But Matthew 28, verse 18. We're kind of jumping in the middle. This is right before Christ leaves this earth. He's resurrected. He's died for our sins. Um, was dead in the grave three days. Rose again. He's talking to his disciples. And here's what he says to them. Matthew 28, verse 18. Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So, so let me just, before we get into this sermon, the, the, the groundwork for all of this, the stuff that makes this even conceivable is that very last phrase. I am with you always to the end of the age. So let me first say to you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, He is with you. And He is for you. On that dark night when all the stuff in your family, whatever your family, whatever stage, in that dark night, Christ is there. When it feels like He is a million miles away and you feel betrayed by every source of input you have, hold on to this promise if you are a believer. I am with you always. He's there. He is there. If it quite literally is the end of the world, Jesus' message is, I am there with you. So as we get into this, we got to start there. And let me give you comfort. And we'll talk more about this as the sermon goes on. But if you're here and you're just exploring the claims of Jesus, maybe you got drugged by a friend. There is good news to be had. Christ can walk with you through the troubles. But let's get into this. So the call on every believer, that first blank there in your sermon guide, is that making disciples is your primary job. The primary job of every single Christian on this planet is to make disciples. So before your role as a husband or wife, before your role as an employee, before your role as mom or dad, your job, your role 
Your job is to make disciples. Look back with me there. Matthew 28, verse 18. Excuse me, verse 19. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So it seems like to an English reader, remember the, the New Testament was not written in English, it was written in Greek. It seems like the first word there, go, that seems to, when we read it in English, that seems like the big word. Okay, we got to go here, go there. That's actually not the main word when Jesus spoke it. The main word in there is make disciples. That's the core of it. That's the, the thrust of the Great Commission is make disciples. And the way we make disciples are all the other pieces. We're going to make disciples. We're baptizing to make disciples. We're teaching to make disciples. But the primary role of the Christian is to make disciples. So at your job, and it doesn't matter if you're spraying for bugs, you're building cabinets. Uh, Okay, I got to tell you, Dom, I love woodworking. I'm not that good at it. No one, uh, you would not pay me to make a cabinet. But I'm so excited. But whatever it is, your primary job is make disciples. The work you're doing, those spreadsheets you're compiling and analyzing and, and doing the, the metrics that I wouldn't even want to think about in a million years to figure out what to do next, that's good and that's important. And that's God's gift to, to allow you to do that. But that is not your primary job. God has called you to go and make disciples. You're to make disciples. Now, that seems very kind of ephemeral. That's hard to, you know, how how do you at the end of the day check that box? It's not clean like that. It's not a task that we can knock off our to-do list. But it's the purpose for which we live. Everything we do, whether it's our job, our role as a wife or a husband, a mom or a dad, a college student. It's to go forward to make disciples. And so sometimes that means sharing the gospel with somebody who's maybe never heard or maybe has heard and has not understood. Or maybe has heard and understood and disagrees. It's to graciously share the gospel. But maybe it's also when someone's having a rough day at work to share a scripture. You know, there's hope. This is not the end. There's hope. Jesus is big enough to handle this. Maybe it's to stop and pray. One of the things that I learned early on is if somebody asks you to pray, boy, drop what you're doing and pray right then. Make everybody think you're weird. It's kind of fun. But we go and we make disciples. We're going to talk about the process of that in here in just a little bit. But just let that sink in for just a second. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and it feels like your biggest job is to get that thing built or get that task finished or turn in the project That is not your biggest job. When it feels like the pile of laundry is going to kill everyone if you don't get it done, that is not your primary role. You are a disciple maker. 
And so what we want to do and what we're going to talk about the rest of this time is how do we do that? How do we leverage everything about life to make disciples? Because this is Jesus' command to us. So the first thing, making disciples is your primary job. Number two, we make disciples as we go. Those are your blanks. As we go through daily life. Look there again. Matthew chapter 18, or excuse me, 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples. If you look at the rest of the verse, and I kind of hinted at this when I said it earlier, we make disciples by going. That's actually a participle in the Greek. And, and baptizing and teaching. These are ways we do it. And, and the, the, the best way to understand this word go is as you go. Did you know the first expansion of Christianity had absolutely nothing to do with planning? Had absolutely nothing to do with intentionality? Had absolutely nothing to do with this plan to send missionaries out? The very first time the church expands... It's because somebody was trying to kill them and they got out of Dodge. They they got out of Jerusalem. Quite literally, they were running. And as they went, they went to all kinds of places like Damascus, Antioch, all these other cities around. And as they went there, they, they got a new job. They set up shop again and they started just telling everybody what they'd heard. Paul, great example, very first missionary. He's sent out, big missionary task. He's going out and he preaches. And one of the things that happens is he gets arrested. That would kind of put a damper on your mission trip, right? We're, we're going for not getting arrested on the, the two mission trips this summer. That's, you know, that's kind of in the list of, of to do's, not get in jail. Um, <clears throat> gets arrested. He's sitting in jail. And you know, he's one of his first converts in the city. The jailer. They're sitting and talking. That's how missionary work actually worked. Um, <clears throat> I have a good friend who's a missionary. Uh, he served in Cairo. He's, he's now retired. He's home. And in Cairo, one of his first people that he led to the Lord was a taxi driver. He wasn't up there preaching, you know, in the, in the church they'd built and all that. It was when he was taking a taxi ride, he talked to a guy, they had a conversation, hey, let's talk more, they had coffee, and eventually this man came to Christ. He was taking a taxi ride. That's effective missionary strategy right there. Take a taxi. If you don't want to drive in Cairo. But it was as they went. And so what I want us to see is we, we sometimes have this big, you know, way too complicated understanding of what making a disciple is. It's our normal daily activity that makes disciples. It's as you are going through life, you're making disciples. I want you to turn over to me with me uh, to Deuteronomy chapter six. So Deuteronomy, it actually means second law. That's what Deuteronomy means. That's why it's a weird name. All those lovely Latin speakers get complicated. Deuteronomy six Starting in verse 4. This is the parenting text, by the way. This, this is the one everybody goes to in the sermon. 
But I want you to see that it is the exact same thing as Matthew chapter 28, which is the exact same thing, by the way, as Genesis chapter 2. Go and fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, fill the earth with people who are going to worship me. Deuteronomy 6, 4 has the exact same connotation. It's, it's just through normal life that we accomplish the call of God. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So everything's predicated on who God is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In other words, the first thing you do, you love God. You personally love God. Second thing, verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Okay, well, how do we teach them diligently to our children? I'm glad you asked. It's going to tell us. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. To-do list, talk about Jesus when you're sitting down. Okay, our schedules are all busy. How many of you have sat down this week in your house? Okay, moms, don't lie. You actually did. I know you're really busy, but yeah, we've, we've sat down. That, that's the plan. When you walk by the way, okay, well, we didn't walk to school this week. We drove. How many of you have driven your kids somewhere this week? That's the plan. And when you lie down, how many of you went to bed this week at least once? That's the plan for discipleship. And when you rise, you all got up this morning, so I don't even need to ask, except that one guy in the back that's asleep, but we won't go there. You shall bind them on a sign as your hand. In other words, okay, so we, we got kids. Now listen to this. So as you're going through, it's like God's word is right there at your hand. It's, it's right there. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. In other words, it's like your glasses. The way you see everything, you're seeing it through God's Word. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, when people come to your house, there's something. What, what? What's up with you guys? Oh, we believe in Jesus. Let me share a little bit about Him. It's everywhere. So, I, and I've already been mocked by all the engineers in the room that my bullseye there is not apparently symmetrical. So, yeah, I have three liberal arts degrees and um, you know what they call a doctor who can't make a good bullseye? Doctor. So, your bullseye there. Th this is on purpose here, all right? We, there's four kind of, kind of concentric circles. It, it's like the stone hitting the water and the ripples go out, 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 out. Okay? The center of that is you. Y-O-U. You are a disciple. The first person you're to share the gospel with when you wake up in the morning is your own soul. Um, the Puritans developed a practice they called preaching the gospel to yourself. In other words, before they'd get up in the pulpit, these pastors, they beat it into their own head. They preach to themselves, preaching to the mirror, so to speak. That would probably be how we'd say it. So when we get up, we take in God's Word. We pray and we seek to follow Christ as a disciple. Circle number two, your family. This, this, and it's right here in Deuteronomy. Y'all catch it, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. I command them be on your heart. All right? And then the next thing, your family. You teach them to your children. You talk about them. When you're driving, 
talk about? What's going on in your life? How'd school really go? You work on memorizing a Bible verse right there in the car. That means, by the way, you have to memorize it ahead of time so you're not, yeah. Um, but pray with your kids. Take advantage of that car. You're stuck there anyway. Use it. When you're sitting around the dinner table, engage in a conversation that's actually going to do something. So the second circle there, your family. So it's you, your family. Third circle, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your city. You put others there. That's a little shorter. So it keeps going out. So, so not only, and this is, again, we're talking family life here. The reason we didn't title this sermon parenting is because it's bigger than that. It's family life. Yes, we parent. But that's not the last concentric circle. That's not the last way this, this reverberation goes out. Our neighbors notice. I want to. I love. Y'all know my wife. She's amazing. One of the most beautiful times I've ever seen my wife. It's when our next door neighbor was struggling. One of their kiddos is making some bad decisions. And I looked out, and she's out in the middle of the front yard, praying with our next door neighbor. Our next door neighbor. She was just bawling because someone took the time to pray with her. She didn't think about praying, and we don't even know if she's a believer. But someone took the time to pray and love on her daughter. That meant the world to her. When's the last time you made all the neighbors think you're the weird one? Because you just cared about them. You invited them over. There's a difference. You went to make them a disciple of Jesus. All right, fourth circle. And this is back to Matthew 28. We go to the ends of the earth. So there are times where we take a step. Um, one of the things that's, man, it's hard on me. I'm going to be gone a couple times this summer. Um, two, two mission efforts. And one of them's long. We're going to Central Asia. Man, it just kills me to be away from my kids. But as I parent, I want them to see, man, daddy's doing it. Daddy actually takes this thing seriously. He's willing to go quite literally as far as you can go. I mean, we, we go a little bit south. We are, we are all the way around. I want them, uh, the, the time I am away is more valuable than the time I would be disobeying at home to not go. So we go to the ends of the earth. So it's you. You disciple yourself. You disciple your family. You disciple your neighbors, co-workers, friends, city. And then you go to the ends of the earth. That sounds really idealistic, doesn't it? That sounds, you know, almost impossible, <laughs> not real. I want you to see what this looks like. So point number three, this looks amazingly normal, even in a hostile world. This looks amazingly normal, even in a hostile world. Go to the book of Jeremiah with me. Jeremiah chapter 29 I know we're skipping around today. I'm trying to say, okay, what does the Bible say about family life? Not just one passage. Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to start in verse 4. Read this whole chapter if you have a chance to later. It's, it's a great section of Scripture that really hits. But Jeremiah's in Israel, and all these people have quite literally been kidnapped 
They've been taken captive. They have been trafficked to another land where many of them um, are now the, the grandkids, sometimes kids, of these trafficked folks who were taken to another land, forced to do things they didn't want to do and not allowed to go home. And so they're, they're in a hostile place. The culture is against them. And what is God's word for how they fight this culture? Jeremiah 29, look at verse 4. Then the Lord, excuse me, 29 verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in other words, the God of armies, the God of Israel. Okay, so big, huge introduction. Say, here, it's God talking to the exiles who I am sent into exile. Who did it? God. From Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse number five. Listen to this radical, crazy advice he gives them. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. The, the radical plan for living in a hostile world get a house and have kids. Why? Because you're going to disciple yourself. You're going to preach the gospel yourself. Then you're going to preach the gospel to your family. And then your neighbors in that neighborhood. And then all those other people around you. This is the plan. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. And you will find welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And this is there were there were false prophets going around. Do not let your prophets and diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. Did not send them, declares the Lord. So, so in this place, you're to live normal life. But don't follow the lies that are surrounding you. Seek the truth in God's Word. That's the plan. That's what this looks like. That's what making disciples look like. It looks shockingly normal. But it's a world-changing plan. Some of the best advice I have ever received. I was in the middle of my PhD, getting ready to write my dissertation. I mean, it's huge. I'm working on all these things. We were, we were early on in a church plant. Um, I mean, we have idealistic dreams that God has worked out something much better than all those. But I mean, I was ready. I mean, out to change the world. And this wise professor, former, former missionary, said, you know, with, with all the stuff you're doing, that's great. Keep, keep doing that. It's none of, not that any of that's wrong. But these were his words. The most creative thing in the world you can do. Have kids. That, that's shockingly normal. <laughs> and he said that. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. That, that, wait a minute. Yeah. The most creative thing in the world you can do is, 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 is have kids. The most powerful things in the world you can do is, is have, have kids. 
and raise them in this manner. It's to seek God for yourself and then train up your kids and teach them. Just sitting in your house talking about Jesus, praying for them in the car. When you're at the soccer game, talking to the guy next to you, encouraging him. He's had a rough week. That's what we do. That's, 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 that's what we do. You see, parenting, we want this to-do list. We want, you do XXX, your kids turn out good. And go to college and you know, make a million bucks. Have a perfect spouse. That doesn't exist. We're, we're all different and God's called us for different things. He's wired us up differently. It, the, the, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about some practical stuff here in a minute. But if I told you how we do family devotions and you copied that, you might be an abject failure because that's not how your kiddos are wired. If I told you our discipline system, it wouldn't work for your kids because your kids are not my kids. As a matter of fact, we have to do discipline totally differently for our two kids. So I can't say do it like this because it's different. I can't tell you do this and your kids are magically going to be, you know, the next Billy Graham. Sometimes. God takes a long time. And I don't know why. Sometimes God takes a long time to work. But we get in and we follow Jesus. And we preach to ourselves, Jesus, You are enough. Jesus, You are my vision. Not, not because we're strong, but because we are weak. And we fall in the grace of Jesus. We fall on Jesus being right and good enough for us because we are not right and good enough to raise our kids well. We fall on the feet of Jesus because we sin and we absolutely, abjectly blow it. When it comes to our neighbors, when it comes to, to inviting folks in, part of our family life is, is this family that's sitting right here. Man, I, I tell you, I feel lousy that I there's some of you I just don't know you and that's on me and I'm sorry I feel like but we throw ourselves on the feet of Jesus and then we teach our kids to do the same thing not to be good little boys and girls although we want that but we teach them Jesus was already the perfect man for you he changes your heart he cleanses your sin. And that's even better than those good grades. That's even better than winning that tournament. And that's even better than the fact that you obeyed me and I really enjoyed that today. That's where we go. So how do we do this? Some practical things. We're gonna, I'm, I've got a list here. This is where we're going to spend a lot of the rest of the time. And some of these are really easy for you. And some of them are going to smack you over the head like a two-by-four. That's because we're all different. But we fall on the grace of Christ. And we go out and make disciples. And when we blow it, we get right back up again. And fall on the grace of Christ and do it again. There we go.
Write down the ones that, that hit your heart. Number one, if you're married, disciple your spouse. Disciple your spouse. Husbands, you are the head. This, this is ultimately on your plate. But it's not solely on your plate. You're to lead, guys. We've talked about that. Go, if, you, if you didn't hear Joe's sermon last week, skip back to that. Disciple your spouse. Invest in your spouse's spiritual growth. Buy them good books. Read the scripture together. The best marital advice I have ever received was do not let a day go by where you don't pray with your wife. And we have missed very few. The, the ones we've missed, usually somebody's in bed knocked out or vomiting. Or someone's been in, in another country. Pray with your spouse. Once, not in, in addition to me. I mean, yeah, I know we pray... I mean, take time. For us, it's nighttime. We're both night owls, not morning people. We just, we just pray. And it was the most weird, awkward thing in the world when we started. I mean, it just felt weird. So, yeah, it's okay. It, it may feel completely weird. That's all right. Keep doing it. Just disciple your spouse. Your spouse may reject that discipleship. They may ignore that discipleship. They may even resist that discipleship. Some of them aren't believers. The Bible teaches First Peter, it talks about stay with them as long as they'll have you. Because maybe that's how they're going to get saved. By your godly, quiet care. So disciple your spouse. You know what? You're going to fail. Let me, let me just nail that down. You, you, I always fail getting there. Oh, I'm going to fix my wife. Yeah, that didn't go well. We're going to be arrogant. We're going to be obnoxious at times. More often than not, even more often than that, I just fail to do anything. I just don't do anything. But my word to you, brothers and sisters, I beg of you, try. Get in there. Try Pray, read the Bible, be there, disciple your spouse. And in these frail, failing, weak, anemic ways, God the Father who loves you, God the Father who loves you under the complete provision of Jesus, who did do it all right, and the unseen but moving, powerful Holy Spirit. He's going to work. He's going to work. Let me say this. Single moms, single dads, uh, moms and dads who, who you are here every week and your spouse is not, and you're getting the kids here and you are fighting them here sometimes despite your spouse, I praise God for you. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. I, I don't know how you... I, also you're saying, it's hard enough with two of us. I have no clue how you do it. Praise God for you. Keep in there. Don't give up. Keep doing what you're doing. Loving on your kids. Loving on your spouse. Praying, I know oftentimes with tears. Keep it up. Keep crying. Keep soaking that pillow with tears at night. Praying for your spouse. Church family, come alongside these single moms, single dads, or, or parents who are alone in their spiritual life. 
And let me encourage you. God the Father loves you. Christ the Son. He, he made it all. And you're going to blow it. <laughs> you're going to act like the one who's not the Christian sometimes. But Jesus has made complete provision for you. And the Holy Spirit, who you cannot see working, is moving. Don't give up. He's going to reward this effort. Folks, we need to get a plan. First, disciple your spouse. Second, make a discipleship plan. That includes discipline. It, it includes you know, things we know to do. Being consistent. Being merciful. Saying no when you have to. But make a plan and stick to it. You need help. There's lots of great books out here. I, I brought two. Um, there's a bunch over on the kids' check-in desk that you can grab, including one that's free. Um, it's bound up. Um, and there's a second one that's free I'll tell you about. But let me tell you this. Gospel-Powered Parenting by Farley. Um, how the Gospel Shapes and Transforms Parenting. This is a good book. Um, it's by a pastor that you've never heard of. And I, I, I like that even better. It's not by some famous, you know, brilliant guy. It's just, it's just a dude who's loving his family. It's a really good book. Um, the other one, Give Them Grace, Dazzling Your Kids with the Love of Jesus. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for oh, 20 years now. Didn't even dawn on me to be gracious to my kids. I know. Throw rocks, please. I deserve it. Didn't even dawn. Sometimes you just show grace. Surprise them with grace. I mean, I know they deserve it. Surprise them with grace sometimes. That's what we do for Christians. It's all about grace, right? Um, this is by two amazing ladies, a mom and a daughter. Um, really good book. Really good book. I have these two to give away. There's another copy at the desk if you want to look through and buy one. If you want these books, they're here. Grab them after uh, the service. So, Make a plan and stick to it. And, and you're going to have, you're going to get angry and blow it. You're going to have exhausted delirium. I think that's, I don't know, my wife, I don't know how she does all she does. I think that's where she lives, is exhausted delirium. She does so much with our kids. You're going to have those, totally didn't see that one, failures. But God's going to honor your hard work to seek to disciple your kids because God loves you. And His Son made the provision, not you. And His Holy Spirit, who you can't see, is working powerfully in your kids' hearts. So do the work. Keep going. Keep going. Have family devotions. Talk about Jesus with your kids. This is the sit at home. Talk about Jesus with your kids. There's lots of resources. We can get you hooked up with that if you need. But, I mean, read a Bible verse and pray. That, that's a win. We do this at the dinner table. Because my children are slightly more still then. Um, I, I mean, that's when we figured out we do it over dinner. We tr used to do it after dinner and, and it was bad. <laughs> it was not a good thing. But we do it, we do it at dinner. And you know what? Your kids are going to ignore you. Um, your kids are going to vomit in the middle. Yes, I know. That's, that's real. They're going to hit each other during the family devotions. Yeah, we've done that one. They're going to be distracted by squirrels. That's not a reference to the movie Up. That's what happened Tuesday night. No kidding. Um, you'll think they have not heard a word you've said. And sometimes you hope they didn't hear the words you say because you knew they were wrong. 
but, but keep in there and do it, family. We just got to do this. We got to work. We got to seek Christ and seek to disciple our kids. And because of the love of the Father and the provision of Christ and the work of the Spirit, things are going to happen. Things are going to happen. It's keep in the as you go. You pray in the car. You talk as you drive. You memorize scripture. Um, songs for saplings. It's this DV. And they're the corniest. They will drive you nuts in the car, okay? But your kids learn scripture. Um, do the theology CD. It's amazing. My kids are singing great theology and they love it. It's not that I have to make them do it. They beg me to do it. And we do it over and over and over and over. Help them process the bully at school. Not just, okay, we're going to go get your teacher. No, no, no. What does the Bible say about this? To pray for your enemies. To forgive. Even when they don't deserve it. How do we process this as Christians? How do we process good grades? How do we process bad grades? How do we process college decisions? How do you pray over a decision and seek God's will? Do it with them. How do you navigate deciding on a spouse? How do you navigate wanting a spouse and not having one? This is what you do with your kids. How do you, you open up the Scriptures? You tell them about Jesus and you keep pointing them, yes, there is wisdom and there is that. And we do that. And there's certain things we are called to do, but you point them to Jesus over and over and over and over. Jesus is enough. When you lose that job, Jesus is enough. You do it as you go. The second book I told you about, uh, it's free. It's over there. It's bound up. It's called The Summer Fun Guide. This is more kids, but kind of early teens maybe too. It is like 150 ideas to do this summer that are fun that will teach your kids something. It's, it's just great stuff. It's that as you go and do things, it teaches you how to do that practically. Say this. It's like that kind of teaching, okay? I mean, do this, say this. Um, it's free. It's put out by the Village Church. It's a great thing. And you know what you're going to do? Today, on the ride home, you are going to totally miss that opportunity. And it's going to hit you like when you, you know, you get, the, you know, for us, where we'll get the kids to bed and we'll sit there and, oh, why did I not think of that? you get back on there, you ask God to help you, and you're going to say the wrong thing, and you're not going to know what to say, and you're going to feel weird, and you're going to feel like you're trying to give advice, and you have no clue what's going on. But God's love covers that. Jesus' work on the cross covers it. And the Holy Spirit is working. He's working. Encourage it. Keep in there. Next. Pray. Pray. Um, just finished a book with uh, the staff just went through this. It's called The Praying Life by Paul Miller. Highly recommend that book. Awesome book. It has a very just hitch in the face chapter. And one of the statements in there is the most important work of parenting is done when you're praying. You know what I want more than anything for my two kiddos? I want them to trust Jesus. And it doesn't matter how good I am, how great I am at all this other stuff, I still can't make them do that because I'm not God. But guess what? 
I get to talk to God. That's what prayer is. I can talk to Him. I can ask Him to do that. So we pray. We, we ask for help. We pray and ask for help for our children to stay on green all day at preschool. We pray that hard. We pray and ask for their salvation. We pray and ask for them a spouse. And when we pray, things happen. God Almighty moves. When we pray, things actually happen. So pray. I want to tell you, you're going to feel like a nut going to God to ask him to help you figure out algebra so you can help your son. You're going to feel weird when you go to God and ask the God of the universe to help you wean your child of a pacifier because you are about at your wits end. But go and pray. Jesus says, come. He says, go to the Father. So pray. And you're going to feel crushed when that thing you have prayed for, maybe it's your child's salvation and you've prayed for decades and they still don't love God. And you prayed and you prayed and you've wet your pillow with tears and you wake up and nothing has happened in your eyes. Let me tell you, keep praying. Keep begging the Father. Because the Father loves you. The Father loves you. And it may not feel like it. And you may be afraid to pray because you're afraid you're going to be disappointed. But go to the Father as the one who loves you and pray and beg. And God the Father will hear you. And God the Son has made enough provision even for your child. And the power of the Holy Spirit is working powerfully. Your schedule. And you say this, slow down. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say no. If everything in your schedule wins, but spiritual things like being in church, praying with your kids, you, you lose. Because what you've taught your kid is to love everything but Jesus. Say no to some things. It's okay if they don't do that one thing. It's okay. And by the way, if your friends shame you on Facebook and brag it and you feel we didn't do this, we didn't do that, who cares? It's your son and daughter at stake. Say no. Just, just forget it. We're not doing that. Guys, let me talk to you a minute. Change your hobbies. To something you can do with your kids. This, uh, man, this right between the eyes. If, if, if we can't do it together, it's probably not what I need to be spending my time on. Do the chore together. Fix the car together. And yes, I know. <laughs> that's, wow, that's hard. But do it. Do it with your son. You can install the security system. That's what we did over the weekend. Even though you're letting constant mayflies into the house, totally worth killing those bugs to do it together. Slow down. Eat together. Turn your, t turn your phone off. Turn the TV off. Eat together. Okay, crazy statistic. Ran into this. Thought I, I've got to share. Nine out of ten kids who eat dinner with their family five times a week 
have good grades. That is, that, that blew my mind. Nine out of ten have good grades. They eat together five times a week. Fix your schedule. Your children may berate you for what they miss. You're going to get the, oh, when you say no. And all the times you're feeling like that other mom just posted the perfect outing and the millionth thing that's going to make their kid better than yours. And the other dad who snickers at your son because he struck out to theirs. It's all going to fade to a distant hum. Because God's working. God's working. So keep in there. And do it. Hospitality. Invite the widow, the single person, the mom who's overwhelmed, the dad who feels alone. Invite them into your life. Say, come to my home. I'll meet you at the restaurant. Let's go to the park. Moms whose, whose kids are already grown. Man, invite some of these young moms. Just love on them. Let them ask the questions. Just love on them. Young couples with no kiddos, single adults. This falls on you too. Take that teenage girl that you know is struggling and you know her and you love her. Take her out for coffee. You're going to blow her mind that a college kiddo would do such something like that. Single adults who are struggling and hurting and wanting a spouse and the spouse hasn't come, I tell you, teach my daughter, teach my son how to be a godly, pure man and woman. And to fight through that loneliness to seek Christ. Teach him how to do it. Please. I need your help. And every one of these parents, we need you. Be hospitable. And, and it's a sacrifice. And it's hard. But God honors this sacrifice. And He's working. Finally, be honest. Admit your failures to your kiddos. Confess your sins to them. How do you think we're going to teach our kids to confess our sins to their father? It's by their father on earth confessing their sins to them. When you blow it, and you will, I'm sorry, son. I'm sorry, daughter. I'm sorry, spouse. Fail. Forgive me, please. You're going to feel exposed and you're going to feel fake. You're going to feel humiliated. And you've just taught your son and daughter to fall on Jesus. And it's totally worth it. Keep in there, church. We're going to go to the Lord's Supper. And this is the perfect time for this. Because as we come to this Lord's Supper, we, we have our litany of fails. But that's okay. Because Jesus died for those. When we sin, yeah, that's okay. We don't want to. We fight against it. But Jesus died for that. And what we are going to do is when we take in, when we eat that bread, when we drink that cup, we're saying, Jesus, I trust you today to cover it. I trust you to cover today's sins. 
Listen to this. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Can we say we fall short of this today, church? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified. Made perfect, in other words. Are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by So in your failure, in your longing, in your hurting, in your aloneness, we come to Christ. And what we're going to do symbolically here is take bread and a cup. But this is what we do daily. We take in Jesus. So if you're here today and you're not a believer, thank you for being here. We're grateful that you'd put up with us. We want to encourage you to fall on Christ. And if today is the day you want to do that, please talk to me. Talk to Joe. Talk to Pastor Chad. I don't don't see him. I can't point to him. One of the men you're about to see up here are deacons. But but we would ask, just, just out of respect, that you would let this cup and bread pass. As this, according to Scripture, is, is for believers in Christ. And if, if you are a believer from another church, we welcome you for taking the Lord's Supper. But what we're going to do now as we pray and our deacons come forward is confess our sins. If we need to be reconciled to a brother, we need to do that now. And we'll take the Lord's body and the Lord's bread. So deacons, come forward. Let's pray. God, our Father, we come by You, Jesus, knowing Your power and Your guiding and Your prompting to even be here this morning, Spirit. We come to take Your bread, Your cup. Jesus, this, this beautiful picture. So Jesus, May we take in You. May we throw ourselves in repentance at Your feet in faith, trusting that You forgive. And You are good. And You renew us. And so Lord, may we get back up today. May we get back in the game of making disciples. And when we fail again, may we take You in again. We love you. In Jesus, your name. Amen.